As the two-passenger carriage rattles up to the gates of Swan and Company, we see the human driver, miserable against the rain, huddled beneath his hat with his collar pulled up to hide his face, grumbling miserably against the elements. The carriage pulls to a stop. He takes his hands off the reins and displays his palms to the guards who step out. Without much ceremony, they pass these yard-long rods, which emit a cerulean light, which makes a haze in the mist and rain of the morning. Uh, it shines right through the skins of the horses drawing this carriage. You can see their bones. When it passes wood, you can see the wood shining like a phantom, ethereal construct, metal it cannot shine through. But they bathe the whole carriage in this, and when they pass the people within, they see that the lady has her purse, and peering closely at that, note that it appears to be full of mainly makeup and stentorial supplies. Whereas the man carries a sword. One of the guards asks to see it. When the man offers it, the guard inspects his peace binding and sees that it is regulation. The man in the carriage is then square in the camera, and we see the saturnine features of Shakir. The dwarf, bidding the man a very good day, hands the weapon back to him, and the door of the carriage closes. Once the dwarves are safely back in the gatehouse, the gate opens, and the carriage rattles on. The scene cuts to where Calder sits way underground. Nigel and Nigel are setting up the mirrors all around this spot. This is a job for comfort. No need for fashion. He's wearing nothing to change his shape. The mithril door hangs with the padlock undone. Arabet took care of that this morning before running off to get changed. The lights are all set up. The place is sufficiently dry. There is a supply of snacks and a good supply of coffee to hand, Calder. Excellent. So, once the Nigels have everything ready, you flip a switch, and there is the slow thumping of a thomic generator, which picks up eight revolutions per minute. One by one, all the screens wink on, and you settle your goggles over your eyes. The camera shifts then to your perspective. What do you see here? Well, you know, the reports that the Nigels gave me were unsurprisingly quite accurate. Uh, one has to always correct for scale, though. They uh, overestimate uh, dimensions consistently. Uh, everything uh, typically starting off at large and going up to ginormous. But they are correct. The perimeter of swans in virtually every dimension, angle, and vector is almost impenetrable both from a physical and from a thomic perspective. I am very impressed and have an unhealthy interest in what else is going to be inside of this place. Uh, any place so well protected clearly has filthy lucre. Keep having to put aside additional thoughts of uh, side quests during our very important and delicate mission. Now that I'm settled in and I have the goggles on, I see some kind of handle and some kind of locking mechanism. I, I can't see any hinges, quite interesting, perhaps they're on the inside. Uh, but as I flick on my goggles, I see uh, some sparks and they're quite bright. And then uh, atomic dampeners kick in uh, and I can see, not unlike the Matrix, uh, a set of runes uh, streaming 
uh, over all of this. However, um, there's some flaw, and it's not entirely sure why. The Nigels were right. Uh, I wouldn't expect them to be able to diagnose such a problem as this, but uh, there is one very small um, gap just at the top of whatever this portal is. And uh, as I uh, zoom in, I tap the side of my goggles to zoom in, I uh, get out my thumb on calculator and uh, pop open uh, the vapocoptic mantra veins and let them spin up. And uh... With that, there is an explosion from the right. And Nigel cusses Nigel out for not checking the fuse. The s displays begin to dim as the cussing Nigel pulls the fuse out, snaps one in, or snaps a replacement in, and uh, throws the switch to power everything up again. The thomal encabulator accounts for this surge in thomic current and adjusts your view accordingly these runes are still there superimposed on the three-dimensional version of things this takes you a second to adjust to but now that everything is synced yes you can work with this excellent so uh i'm gonna get quite close i'm gonna get out my tools and uh set them all out look over just a bit of room this will just actually i have no idea how long this will take welcome to runelanders i'm matt adam your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master and so it's my job to let you know that runelanders contains coarse language and things that might offend sensitive listeners and so listener discretion is strongly advised now if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then dig, if you will, the mysteries, magic and mayhem, which follow a felonious fellowship's forays from salons and saloons into parlors of power and places unknown in, around, above, and beneath Byzantine Bailey Mina. Having returned from an autumn spent lost in the dream, will our fiends survive the winter in the city of steel and steam? We could tell you all about it, but we'd rather show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallions. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. And with that, we're going back upstairs. The carriage is directed off to a carriage yard where the driver parks it under a shelter for the horses, throws some hay out so they have something to eat, and then makes his way to a staff cabin, which is off in the corner, right next to the fence, but notably Arabet, not close enough that you could jump from the roof over the fence, even with a run. As you open the door, you see that there are a bunch of other drivers in there playing cards with a short stack of coins on the table being distributed around. The place smells like sweat and old burnt coffee and like nobody's cleaned the adjoining bathroom in a couple months. These three guys look at you, look at a fourth chair, and then go back to playing cards. What's Danny? Looks like about four and a half in Tellins and Stellins. I'm in. All right, so you sit down and start uh, start playing cards. Now, 
Are you going to lose for a while, or are you just going to let him have it? Well, I'll lose for a while. How long? Oh, I got time. Two minutes yet. Uh, roll deception. 16. In short order, your four and a half in Tellens and Stellens turns into two in Coppers. Rightly offended to have been so taken by such expert card players, you slap your gold sovereign down. That, my friend, is a $10 sovereign coin. And while these guys might work for rich people, they are not themselves rich people. They're wearing decently tailored suits that are bought for them by rich people, you know? They're the help. So that $10 gold coin, that gets some notice. All right, my luck's gotta change. Let's see who's fucking serious about this now, eh? Roll again. 22. But you know what? That's exactly what they were hoping you'd say. So they all dig into their pockets and pretty soon, there's 50 bucks on the table. And now it's a game. At that moment, you notice through the grubby curtained windows of this driver's cabin, there is a bright dawning light, which soaks into the room and lightens things up it goes from being five in the morning to suddenly being 10 in the morning. We switch within to where Shakir and Delilah are standing in a solarium. At this moment, the light first kind of flares over the Imperial Island to the north and then dawns a bright golden dawning. The Empress has emerged and her light spills over all of the empire. About at that moment, the secretary returns. Mr. Swan will be happy to see you in just a moment. If there's anything else, Mr. Ascari, please don't hesitate to ask. And in the meantime, enjoy the view. Looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. And indeed it is. You look out over all these rooftops, like your parents have a few properties out here. It's nice if slow paced and laid back. Some of the trees are hanging on to their leaves because of that warm current off the sea garden. It's not going to be as shitty as it was earlier this morning, downtown Bailey Mina. Shakir, can you roll perception, please? That was a 20. Okay, so there are invisible things out in the yard. You can't see what they are, only the occasional haze of the, you know, that shaky sort of light around the edges now and then. The wall, it seems, is built more for keeping things out than in, but it looks like it could do either job passably well. What you can see, the gardens are complementary, but you can't, there's nowhere to hide anywhere in any of the courtyards. And they, now that you see that there's invisible beasts prowling around out there, you can you could probably guess why. The wall itself is, like I said, decently tall, and there are guarded, well, there are manned, guard stations and turrets where the sections of wall meet. Probably five of them from what you can see from the solarium. Turning your attention into the room, you can see that the glass is thicker than would be practical to get through physically. You'd have to use a great amount of force, like a giant gate ram or some sort of magic. Delilah. Yes? Shakir is musing. Well, on the one hand, Delilah is playing the role of the help, which is not 
usually too much of a talking part. On the other hand, someone like Shakir may have been, could quite possibly rely on a secretary to keep him organized more than anything else. She pulls out her larger notepad and flips it open, pointing out that there's another meeting later today that's much less fun, and also tomorrow evening a party. Shakir will take out uh, a notepad and a writing utensil of his own, uh, jot some of his observations down, uh, tear off a piece and hand it to his secretary. Ah, there are some things that I recently just thought about. Um, here, please be sure that these are taken care of before tomorrow. And he will pass that over to Delilah. So Delilah unfolds the note. Now from here, we're going to cut back to the roof in Iron Fire Bramble outside of the greenhouse where, well, sunroom really where Shakir and Delilah are known to take their breakfast. And Shakir is at his sword practice. He does this every morning. The moves are mechanical by now, but they're also meditative. And so, as you consider this swan's problem, Shakir, you let your tactician's mind flow across what you know about your enemy, because know your enemy is always the first lesson they teach you in a military academy. And for swans to be a jeweler of such prestige in a place like Bailey Mina means that they must sell more than just jewelry. I mean, if the rich and famous from all across the five empires are willing to do business with them in what you have come to discover is probably one of the shadiest cities in the world, there must be a reason. And it's when you go through the angry mosquito form designed to make your rapier effective against heavy armor like plate that it dawns on you. It's security. Swans must sell ironclad security that not even the stingingest this little gnats and mosquitoes can get through. Here in all places, for swans to have a safe place for the rich and famous to do their business. That's what they're selling. And so you hatch a plan as you finish your forms up, put your sword away after wiping it down and going back in to wake Delilah up. We shift across town to the breakfast meeting at Arabet's Manor in Lost Acre. We need to make sure we are approaching this the right way. This is not this this is not a, a theft. We are not going to simply remove something from Swans that he does not want removed. He this is what he does. He is not a he is not a craftsman. Uh, well, not the sort of craftsman that we think he is. Delilah looks intrigued. The kind of business that he brings in, the clientele from all over the world, they do not come simply because he is a talented jeweler. There are talented jewelers everywhere. They come here, especially where you can 
get mugged simply for wearing the wrong kind of shoes. Because swans offer something more than just quality craft. His craft is security. And that is what we are up against. Not a paranoid jeweler, but a master of securing valuable objects. He'll sell you the ring and the box to put it in. I know he doesn't do all the design work himself. There's a reason why if you need a piece of jewelry, you'll kill someone versus your girl. And so he has taken it a step further. He has decided that the jeweler is the valuable object, and now he is making sure that she is secure. That is why she had to contact you in the way that she did, because there was no other way. So what we gotta do is make other ways happen, so she can leave when we make the signal and she can see the signal. Delilah looks at Arabet and Calder since uh, she does not have the head for technology. Well, it seems to me that the problem with security is that even though you want to keep something in, you want to be able to look at it too. Ars has got to be able to work or she's not of any value to him. Well, exactly. And things have to come into Swans in order to keep her alive. Yes, I think that is at the very least what we should be looking at. Not necessarily trying to take her out, at least not all at once. But if we can get something in, then we have a much better way of figuring out how to remove her when the time is right. Oh, I see. It's quite clever. So we will go in, but our goal will not be to steal something from swans, but rather to bring something to help us, yes? I think so. Something, a place like that, there is no way for us to know everything that is inside. We might be able to see the layers, but we will never be able to penetrate enough to know what we need to know in order to get her out. But if we can perhaps get a way for her to communicate with us more efficiently, we may be able to form a plan that way, seeing as there is someone on the inside. That is the correct way of referring to it, yes? Someone on the inside? (laughs) Yes, Shakir. Oh, I was just thinking, you know, the best way of getting an object of value out would be, of course, to lessen its value. But I'm getting ahead. Uh, We still have to get in and communicate with Ursa, of course. Delilah, when customers arrive at Swamp, they are required to leave spell phones at the door, some sort of warding against uh, spell phones. They're not required to leave them at the door. They just don't work inside the building. I think they might work if you're, I don't know, trying to call your assistant who's also in the building, but that's about it. Well then, I have an idea. I think we may be able to get Ursa's, and I will need a second one as well, though. And as we cut back to the driver's cottage... Arabet has been losing his shirt to these 
smokes at the table. The sun has got the sun has come up. Everybody is wide awake, Arabet. About time for a nap, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Arabet pulls out his flask. It's a rather large one, actually. And takes uh, the plug off and takes a deep pull. Swallows. Looks at the boys around the table. Well, least you can do is drink with me. They go for it. There's a, all three of them reach for it at once. And uh, the big one with the bad shave on the end is the guy who gets the first long pull of the fine scotch you have in that flask. Then, you know, it passes around the table and it gets back to you. And the cards start getting dealt. And it's uh, it's seven cards, Scotian poker. And uh, about card number six, all of the rest of the drivers are snoring. We cut the downstairs where the Nigels are approaching with a key that has a long, thick cable welded onto the end of it. This key, of course, is headed for the lock in the now revealed to be mithril side door underneath swans. The Nigels are approaching tentatively and Calder, you have, well, one of the advantages to being an electric dragon is you don't generally encounter dead batteries and things. And so, while it's not pretty, you um, finish spitting into the reserve tank of your generator and look over as the Nigels approach the door, which is thrumming with runes. They're about three inches too far to the left. Have I... Um... Have I got a clear sense of what's happening here, or is it just like this massive um, wall of runes? Well, you found the one spot, like the, the lock takes its own spot in the wall of runes, right? But it has to be intact. So with a quick bark at them, they adjust their course. This mithril key built for the purpose slides into the lock on the much neglected door at Swans. With that, you throw the switch on the batteries, all the mirrors light up, and the telemetry on the mirrors becomes the runes that you had seen through your glasses. With that, you switch your goggles off and uh, take a much more leisurely look at things by layer per screen. All right. You're, well, uh... you're connected. And with that, we cut back upstairs to the driver's shack where Arabet puts on a pair of goggles and then fumbling with one of the lenses turns a dial until it clicks. The glass flashes thomachrome for a, for a moment and then a dull green and then a smoky black and then finally clear. Arabet in the glasses you can see a whole cascade of runes and then like darkness for a second and then a tunnel with calder peering at you and then calder disappears into a corner of the of your field of vision and you can see around the room again three dimensions all that sort of thing there is telemetry and uh various things like it's a lot brighter and crisper in here that's the night vision filter that you got on there calder everything seems to be tickety-boo you can see what Bet sees, and uh, 
after he puts the plug in his ear, you can hear what he hears. Arabats. Mm-hmm. Arabat swivels in a slow circle around the room. You can almost hear Calder smile. Well, that's working quite well. Good luck. What? Luck? Come on, you gotta have more than that for me. I have more than that for me. For you, I have luck. Back to the strategy session. My understanding is that um, while impenetrable indeed, um, the maintenance is not perfect. And the Nigel have discovered a opportunity for us. I believe that this will be our best hope of going undetected. I also believe that given the two spell phones and Ursa's discretion, we may be able to and be in perhaps not constant, but at least daily contact. And as Calder tilts the page to show you what he's talking about, the camera pulls back from the tight focus it had had on him and the tome he was reading. Well, you can see the back of the book anyway. So as he turns it, the camera's angle shifts, and this room has clearly been lived in for several hours. The breakfast dishes have been cleaned away. The table is overtaken with books and papers and scrolls and that sort of thing. Everybody is looking more than a little disheveled and uh, at least slightly frazzled. As Calder touches the center of the page and mutters a word, the incredibly complex diagram on the page explodes out into 3D hologlyphic images, each of which were, are much less complicated than their assembled form. He taps one particular spot and it spins into view. And what this looks like is, well, a great big machine constructed of knowledge. Like all of these things, these runes, these ideas, these thoughts, these bands and all of this information tied together to form well, a complete construct, a net covering swans, keeping all kinds of things in without having to be told to look for each individual thing. Almost a thinking machine made of spells, but not quite, in that it doesn't make decisions and it doesn't react. It just absorbs and processes information. If you know how to access it, you know about any changes in that. And right here, where it incorporates a physical security mechanism into its metaphysical construction scheme, thereby satisfying the permanent and impenetrable wall of force, because like it's not, it's there and it's not sort of thing deep metaphysical magical constructs arabet you think you get it but it makes your nose want to bleed and shakir they lose you 
once they start getting very deep into this sort of thing. You and Delilah are the first to drop off. Eventually, Caller and Arabet are yelling at each other in not words. But they seem to come to the conclusion that this, I, ironically, this lock buried behind stone and mortar and bricks and paint and plaster made of ancient mithril that never rots the key to which has been lost for centuries is indeed the weakest point of Swan's security and the problem though is the key's been lost bet really Here at Swan and Company, we pride ourselves on being the very best jewelers in all of the Catherican Empire. We've created pieces by royal appointment for the Duchess of Dyer, and there's this big hologlyphic display of the constellation floating around the Duchess's classical face and prodigious bust and great big broad shoulders. Man, she's just she looks great in this thing, and all of the cosmos revolves around her beautiful face and decolletage, and it's it's a legendary piece of jewelry. To the more humble pieces, worn even by the Empress, and with that, you see Catherica herself raise her hand to wave to the audience who all raises their voices in exultant cheer, and then the there's a freeze, and then a circle which appears around the Empress's left hand, and then a super zoom to include like a thomically recreated version of the Swan and Company silver bracelet she was wearing that day. All manner of things besides Swan and Company puts pride and craftsmanship into everything we do. And that includes trading your investments as our number one priority. To that end, Swan and Company have developed industry standard security protocols. And then like the whole room shifts in light and there's a splitting like an egg and the the audience is all sitting in these chairs. There's Shakir and Delilah sitting off to one side and you know, the whole thing just lurches forward and the room splits open and suddenly there's a workshop and everybody's very busy at their various desks and you can see wheels spinning and sprays of sparks and people very sagely interpreting data off of clipboards. The whole thing turns as the pedestal descends a further layer still. It stops at what appears to be an octagonal room and everybody within blinks and looks around as the lights all flare on and they're that uh, sort of soft glowing you'll find the drift globes you can buy in the markets downtown except these ones don't have that shitty flickering quality that gives you nosebleeds and they kind of glow to a comforting radiance for your eye and feel kind of nice upon your skin in fact and then the Swan and Company logo, there's a big elegant calligraphed swan with obviously the 
outline of a bird behind and it's all like points of light it's based on the swan constellation and very astrological and profound they spent a lot of money on the advertising so as everything comes to a halt the other people in the ride like stand up they're kind of amazed and they're looking and muttering to each other and other attendants come out from various corners of the room and you know take them by the elbow and lead them off down these hallways in this octagonal room but uh Delilah, you and Shakir are left here with a middle-aged human male of, you know, plain as paper, really. But Shakir, you know that the suit he's wearing costs more than some villages' mortgages for a year. This, if you don't miss your social cues, Delilah is Maxime Swan. Yes, hello, Mr. Ascari. Mr. Swan. How very nice to see you again. Indeed, it's been some time. When I heard you were on our visitor's roster, I cleared my morning to take your case personally. I am happy for the service, though I regret taking you from what undoubtedly are more interesting matters. Certainly the relationship between our families has been profound enough that taking a morning off won't ruin the place. And besides, I'm always happy to do it for friends. I haven't met your lovely assistant before, Miss... This is Miss Ramirez. She is uh, my assistant for today. Miss Ramirez, pleasure is mine. She must be very expensive. Most aides can't help but overspeak themselves, but then again, Ascari has always appreciated quality in merchandise and in service. So pardon me if I do go on. Delilah smiles and does not speak and continues taking notes. Shakir, as you glance down to Delilah's pad, a photorealistic portrait of Swan appears amidst her notes along with several invectives. Drawn right into the shading, it's very subtle. You'll never see it unless you look at it the right way. As you reach the end of the hallway, there's a little sitting room and there's a big screen, like a big one of those mirrors, typically used for communications. Not like your picture, which only played the single thing. These, like, caller has a bunch of these things. And on this one, as you walk in, you see um, the measurements of you and Delilah displayed on wireframe mannequins matching your gender and general descriptions that spin in 360 degrees in three dimensions before taking their places off to the side of the screen as hologlyphic construction. Delilah is pleased to see that her strategic minimizing and padding has worked. Now, Mr. Iscari, I understand that you, uh, you'd like to have a custom piece commission. Let's start at the beginning. What exactly are you looking for? And from there, we will switch upstairs to where Arabet is out and across the parking lot to a side gate, which is a wire mesh thing that's held onto the padlock and 
padlocks is, you know, padlocks is padlocks there, but the thing pretty much comes off as soon as you grab it. Um, doors open, you're through, padlocks locked to the fence on the other side. Down the way you go. Calder. There are... Make a perception roll. All right. Um, so what I want to do now is... Um, the, we've already put them in, right? Yep, you are connected into the Swan Warding and Observation Network. Perfect. Okay, so my next step is uh, to, to do everything I can uh, to conceal my activity. So while I uh, click in and uh, with the scroll key and I can see in, I want to make sure that they can't see me or it'll be my best effort for that. So I take out <clears throat> um, one second here. I take out uh, six uh, small uh, copper uh, devices. Looks like a small disc uh, with a knob or a dial, a dial on top. And I uh, uh, click them into place um, around the door. And then um, I effectively tune uh, these little devices uh, together uh, by spinning the dials until the uh, rooms uh, going over the door um, bounce uh, to the mirrors and they appear to become closer to me like they're lifted off of the door. Um, you might want to think about uh, using mirrors for a laser sensor or playing the same um, video footage on a monitor so that uh, this should will appear to swans to still be in contact with their with uh, this part of their exterior, but it actually gives me Then I will need you to roll deception with advantage for your tinkerer's tools. I get a total of 16. Okay, so the camera shifts to an angle where Calder is sitting back from the door uh, looking at this display of screens which is held up on a framework of pipes knocked together by the Nigels in a few moments. Um, he has various pads and peripheral devices and like what looks to be a typewriter keyboard built in somewhere but mainly he just pokes at hologlyphic constructions in the air off these things and watches data stream up and down these screens all of which is controlled by his Thalmoy tabulator. Now, as he sits back, we see him lit, like backlit by all the glowing light from these screens. As with his thumb, he tightens the calibration between all of these rotating glyphic knobs on the door and his Thalmoy tabulator. And with a click, there's a moment where everything sinks. People within, there's a throbbing in all the lights and power then, at that moment. Swan looks around, shrugs it off. There doesn't seem to be any alarms. Calder realizes he is holding his breath and slowly exhales. A few little sparks, um, a few little sparks jumping from tooth to tooth. 
and also off the off those knobs, like just arcing off onto different things. But uh, you seem to have created a hole in a, a hole big enough for the door. So in essence, now the whole door is the keyhole. Arabat, I've secured the door. I will continue with the next step. Perception, Calder. Nine. Okay. Arabet, how about you roll perception? Seven. Okay, so you're looking through you're looking through the goggles at the uh, like there's this big stream of information. And uh, it turns out, Arabet, that uh, Copper Penny won the all Bailey Mina Hurling Championships this morning. That streams across <laughs> Yeah, that streams across your vision. It's just like a, like part of the feat. Bailey Mina, you know, Bailey Mina All City Hurling Championships won by the Copper Penny Kids, right? Right on. So as you like, you try to keep that down. That's all well and good, but uh, you realize that you've walked out past a corner and into a room, and in the room there is. Well, there are two orcs and an ogre. And they're all wearing swan uniforms. They're sitting under a shelter, having a smoke, and the ogre's eating a Gygax, which, being charitable to Gygaxes, looks like it's made out of pizzas and porterhouse steaks. I don't know what you described, so I'm like an artist. Arabic just shalom like he's walking. Hey, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? This won't take long. What do you mean this won't take long? Get the fuck out of here. You're not supposed to be on this side of the fence. Oh. How'd I get here, then? I don't know. And the ogre sets his arneson down and stands up all ten feet of him. Oh, shit. Don't, don't get angry at me. I'm just going to walk back the way I came then. Good idea. Sorry about that. Yeah, I bet. And as you duck around the corner, you know, this guy gets up and comes to see that you make your way down the corridor and let yourself out the way you came. And then, like, he looks at the two orcs like, well, I'm not fitting down this fucking hallway. You go down there. And uh, one of the orcs goes down and sees the locks been put on the fence on the inside. It's like, well, fuck. Hey. Stay the fuck out of here. I gotta get a key for this. He turns around and walks back in. Inside, there's this beautiful bracelet, which is all in gold and platinum wires, and the, the thing also works with most spell phone technologies to accept the latest in hollow gems. And this thing is currently climbing into the tens of thousands. But of course, nobody's told you through your earpiece that they're even online yet, Shakir. So you're just spending money that you don't really have. Delilah, you finished your espresso a suitable amount of time ago that the distraction is appropriate. Delilah coughs delicately. Excuse me. 
I hate to be a bother, but could I use the facilities? Oh yes, certainly. Um, down the hall to the left, one of the attendants will show you the way. She gets to her feet and follows the attendant down the hall. As you leave the room, we see that Swan turns back and uh, now on the screen with Shakir reclining. Shakir, this is a lot like having, like getting waterboarded. Only not as plentiful. Uh, Shakir is actually going to look at Swan. Uh, Do you remember, it was several years ago, I had a piece commissioned for my sister. I was thinking of perhaps uh, some sort of companion piece. Uh, uh, perhaps a necklace uh, even if possible could we get it uh, maybe with a, a warmth enchantment my family's still not used to the, the Bailey Mina winters it's a little little too cold for our tastes he looks you up and down and he says of course Mr. Oscari these things are always available to our prize clients free of extra charge and at once your sister's face appears as one of these 3D models who is uh, dressed for decency, but uh, not in any particular fashion, you know? At this point, it's been a little while since he's seen his sister, so he will, uh, Shakir will try really hard not to twitch noticeably, because, you know, just that whole, it's been a while, and kind of maybe sort of forgotten a little bit but now you know something of a painful reminder and like Layla would never do the figure which wears her likeness moves in a pose like only models do to display the beautiful bracelet that starts in a pair of rings one on her pointer finger and the other on her small finger of her left hand which covers the back of her hand with a protective enchantment and turns into a bracelet that's a wide cuff on her wrist. Um, This was the thing you gave her before she went off to school to keep her safe on her way. It was very expensive and it protects her from everything but the rain, essentially. But it was worth it. She always wears it. So the Layla doll strikes a pose that Layla never would displaying this and then goes back to a neutral pose while Swan swipes the other image off the screen to take its place on a hologlyphic puppet of your father. This piece that you've been working on is a big manly bracelet with, you know, you know, it's it's very bold, it's very uh, very wealthy, it's very proud of being, you know, it's appropriately respectful while still being a little bit of a kiss-ass. No wonder he wants to change the subject. He's really not at all... <laughs> not at all liking that whole idea. No. Yeah, like I said, it's like being... It's been like getting waterboarded. So switching the topic to something for Layla, uh, to see her hover in like that, it's uh, just as much of a jolt, but less of a shock than seeing your father moments before. Now that Delilah has gone off down the hall, you go flicking through a bunch of the latest feminine styles, including your surprise to find an index of all of Layla's noted outfits by her society appearances for the last eight months. Swans, 
trades in more than just security, it seems. Previous to now, your earring wasn't passing on any information. However, as Swan goes on, about, you know, the colors typically favored by Layla to complement her other piece, you hear a squawking and, uh, like what sounds like Arabet cursing Calder. Yeah, Calder, you totally didn't see those three guys having a smoke. Because you weren't looking there. Good call. I'm already heading back. Apologies. So the gate closes behind you with a clink. You know those guys in the cabin are going to be out for another half hour at least, but uh, yeah, you weren't counting on those three guys having a smoke break. All right, Calder. Yes, sir. Casting about within the labyrinthine wards around swans, you quickly locate Delilah's glasses and Shakir's earring. It's a snap to bring them online, and soon enough you have telemetry. All right. Well, I, uh, I will get them online and test things out as quietly as I can. So as you can see, Mr. Ascari, there are quite a, an array of styles and metals to choose from, but I will, uh, I'll leave that to you for a second. Is there anything I can get you while you're deciding? And with that, he looks pointedly at your untouched coffee. Perhaps a cup of tea while I consider. Very good, sir. I'll be right back. Um, your family's proprietary blend, I understand? Please. I think we have some fresh on hand. I'll be right back. And with that, he leaves you to the design room, and the door is closed, and you notice that they don't have handles. And you get the feeling that despite the fact that you are alone in the room with nothing but mirrored walls, you are being watched on all angles. We shift down the hallway to Delilah, who has been who's passed no fewer than four smiling attendants in the gray and white uniforms of Swan. They've all smiled at you broadly with their perfect teeth and directed you back to the ladies' room. And when you get to the ladies' room, there's somebody sitting in there, as you were expecting, you know, turning the taps on for people who need to wash their hands. And uh, really, the only privacy you're going to get is in the stall itself. So, as you install yourself in the stall... The other advantage to all the minimizing and padding is that there's a good place to stuff the spell phone that she was sneaking in. Uh, she takes advantage of that to make the appropriate rustling noises and removes it quietly. And in the uh, noise of the ensuing flush, she takes the lid from the tank and using the adhesive and wrapping that Calder has so kindly provided affixes the spell phone. With a flick of her thumb, she turns it on and replaces the lid. Calder? The node comes on within. Excellent. There's a moment where I need Delilah to roll deception. 22. The whole net turns red for a split second on your view, Calder, and then blinks back to green. 
There's another surge then. On one of the screens, the Empress has just healed a legionnaire and raised him back to full health and appointed him with a full pension. That gets ticked off the schedule exactly on time. Perfect. Okay, so the uh, phone is there and uh, I saw it light up on my display, so I'm ready to make a connection here. So what I will do is I will uh, pop open uh, the casing for the Salmon calculator. I have a spare Apocoptic Mantra base with me. Uh, so I'm going to pop one out of here, um, which is a, you know, a kind of thumb capacitor. And uh, I will, uh, things I see a number of different display bars dip down as I'm down to five of six. And I pop the spare back in. It's going to take a little while for it to charge up uh, the full capacity, but that should get there in not too, too long. This, and, is, uh, one of the, this is one of the high capacity Mantra veins, or is it the faster conduction? The one, I, the one I put in is faster conduction because uh, my I knew that this would be a little gap and uh, I want to try to minimize that. But the one that I popped out was a high capacity one because effectively I'm going to leave this here to power the spell phone on this side. So uh, what I'm doing now is I'm getting my tools out to pop the case off of the uh, the secondary spell phone <clears throat> so I can get this uh, high capacity Apocoptic Mantravane in place and get it set up on this side of the door so that once we leave the um, the uh, uh, miasmic net that I've created uh, to create space around the door uh, will allow this um, phone to, to operate here. If we need a little extra juice uh, to connect uh, to um, the Ursa's phone, uh, but this should let Ursa make a call effectively routed through this uh, extra phone uh, to let her talk with Delilah. All right, well, can you roll insight, please? Natural 20 for a 26, sir. Well done. So, having timed the last surge in sync with a naturally occurring pulse from the city, the royal calendar is always well published, right? If you know where to look and who to ask, there's like a two-second flash to... Calder and his half-elven guys handing a, well, handing an imperial officer an envelope and then back to the current where the next phase of the operation is playing out. So, the, uh, the high-capacity mantra is now on the phone and I can see a little countdown. I'm, I'm just, I'm rewinding slightly uh, to what you said, and I'm counting down just as that surge goes. I uh, pop uh, the phone uh, to just just to the side of the door. I create a little extra room around the door with, uh, uh, with a miasmic net um, so that it's, uh, you know, secure, should be able to sit there. And um, I wait, look to see if the phone comes online. Pop, the phone comes online. Delilah, you uh, you wash your hands, fix your makeup, and as you're walking back down the hall, there's a ding, ding, ding from your spell phone. So you tap the frame of your glasses. Hello, this is Ursula Delure. Who the fuck are you? She steps into an alcove, so she'll be quiet, be a bit quieter, and says, 
Ursa, it's me. There's a long silence. I'm sorry, I'm working right now. I'm guiding a tour. You'll uh, have to excuse me if there's some way I can call you in a moment. I'm busy right now. And there's a click. And as you hear the click, you also hear, I'm busy right now, echoed in, like, live space. And as you turn around to this center hub where the lift that goes up and down is, you see Ursa Delure arrive from another side passage, accompanied by the person she's giving a tour to, who is no other than Gallio Despard. Runelanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Setnick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're going to have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Goodbye. Reminding you to hold high and don't die. Until next. Take good care.